Love you guys. All right, hey, meet me in 1 Samuel chapter 24 this morning, way back in the Old Testament. The title of the message this morning is Don't Make a Mess of What God Has Blessed. Don't Make a Mess of What God Has Blessed. How many know sometimes if God puts things in our hands, we have the ability to mess up what he's entrusted us with? So we have to be very careful that we follow his word, his instructions, and his will and plan for our lives. We're going to talk about that this morning, but I think for Christians, for all of us in the room, one of the hardest lessons that we have to learn is how to trust God and stay on his path during the most difficult seasons of our life. How do we trust God and remain on his path for our life when the pace of our life is not going at the rate that we would prefer? What if we're following God's plan, God's purposes for our life, but the pace of our progress isn't going the way that we would choose? What if God is having you right now walk at a slower pace for his purposes than you want to walk? What if this is taking longer than you planned? What if the way this is going, the path that you're on, isn't exactly what you had in mind, but you know it's the path that God has for your life? I think one of the most practical analogies that I can draw here is from sitting in traffic. My wife will be the first one to say that my true character is revealed when I sit in traffic on the freeway. Because the pace at which I am going is not optimal, and when I have to sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic, I get frustrated, and I start looking for another way. God, there's surely another way. Now, I grew up in the city of Corona. Many of you might drive through there. You know where Corona's at. It's about 30 minutes from here, north on the 15 freeway. Here's the deal. There's only one way to get there. There's only one way to get back. It's the 15 freeway north to get there, the 15 freeway south to come home. And because I grew up there, I know that town like the back of my hand. And every single time I'm going that direction, this is what trips me out. It can be 11 o'clock in the morning, okay? People are already at work. It's too early for them to be coming home from work. Yet for some reason, when you get to Old Temesco Canyon Road, it's bumper-to-bumper traffic at 11 a.m., Make it make sense. I don't understand every day, every time we drive there. I don't get it. And here's the thing. I know this is coming as soon as you get around that bend. You guys know where Tom's Farms is? As soon as you get around that bend and you know Tom's Farms is right around the corner, the very first thing I do, because I know to look for brake lights, I pull out my phone and I want to open the Waze app and see if Waze will tell me to get off the freeway. And right before I get to that exit, I'll look at the app and what does it say? Continue on the 15 freeway north. And I'm like, why? It's bumper to bumper. Don't you see that? And that woman's voice on Waze responds and says, continue on the 15 freeway north. And what I've come to understand over time and over Waze hardly ever failing me is that it knows something about the route in front of me that I can't yet see. It knows something about where I'm going that I've yet to experience. But here's the thing that I do because I'm an impatient person, as I say. I don't want to do that. It's bumper-to-bumper traffic. That doesn't make sense. Close the app, hop off the freeway, and jump on the surface street. Why? Because the surface street appears to be moving. So I get off the freeway, get a mile down the road, only to discover that Waze knew what it was talking about in the first place. Because I hit traffic, bumper-to-bumper traffic traffic on the surface streets, and it's worse there because it's not a free-flowing open freeway. It's stop signs and then stop lights and one lane and then two lanes and then back to one lane. And I thought to myself, you know, I can probably get off the freeway, go up two exits, avoid the log jam, jump back on the freeway, and this will be the quicker way. But no, I was wrong. And Waze knew what it was talking about all along. And the worst part is, that I eventually have to go up and get back onto the freeway that Waze told me to stay on in the first place. 
See, Waze knew what the right way to go was and the place that I was to remain and to stay in order to get to my destination the quickest. But I was unhappy with the pace of my progress. And the lesson that I've come to learn from that silly story is simply this. There's a big, big difference between movement and progress. And sometimes when we are not moving at the pace that we would prefer, we look at the path that God has for our lives and say, well, it looks like I'm going to have to carve a new path. Let me give you some practical examples of this. And I thought about these three things very specifically for this day and for the people that would be at the bridge this morning. Maybe you're an entrepreneur. And God has given you an entrepreneurial heart or an entrepreneurial spirit. God made you that way. Okay? And maybe there's a plan, there's a purpose, there's an idea that he's put in your heart, and you can't shake this thing. And you know that God put this thing in my heart. God placed that thing there. Well, here's the deal. If God created you this thing, and God has given you an idea, he's given you a plan, he's given you a roadmap for how to step out into this endeavor, it's a path that God has already blessed, because he's the one who gave you that idea. But when things don't happen as quickly as you want them to, oftentimes we'll take the idea that God gave us and we'll start to shape it into our way, into our form and our fashion, alongside our ideas. And pretty soon the, God, the idea that God gave us is more my idea than God's idea. And I've created a new path that it is not the path God called me to walk. What about this one? Single people. I have a big heart for single people because I get it. I got married at 30. And if you're single and you've been praying that God would bring someone along into your life that you would fall in love with, who's going to walk in the same direction as you, that would be your life companion, I get it. Because guess what? That desire that you have, God made you that way. He put that thing there. That's a blessed desire that he's given you. And if you have made a decision that I'm going to honor God with my life, my lifestyle, more specifically with my body, I'm going to honor God with the crowd of people I'm hanging out with. I'm going to put my roots down in the house of God. And in doing all of those things, I'm going to trust that God's path is going to lead me to that person that he has for me. But here's the deal. Here's the thing. Sometimes that doesn't happen as fast as you want it to. And the temptation is to say, well, God, that sounds like a nice path, but I'm not happy with the progress or the pace that I'm making. So what do we do? I'm going to carve my own path. And even though for all these years you've been doing this the right way, you say, I'm going to find a new group of friends who are outside of the house of God, who don't understand the plans that God has for your life. And the next thing you know, you've carved out a path that is different than the path that God had you on in the first place. What about in ministry? Maybe there's a ministry that you have in your heart. God birthed that thing there. He's already blessed it when he put it in your heart. Maybe you're even called to vocational ministry and you're looking at the path that's in front of you and you're like, God, it hasn't happened yet. The doors of opportunity haven't opened yet. I don't see how I'm going to get there. It's very, very easy for us as human beings to go out and try to carve out our own path and suddenly get on a path that was not the one God intended for us to be on in the first place. What do we do when the pace of our progress or the pace of the path that we are on is not what we prefer? What do we do? That is the context of 1 Samuel 24 because David finds himself in a huge decision point in his life. And I know that that was a long introduction to get to this, but I think it's going to be helpful today. David was an amazing man who did so many amazing things in his life. But let's just take a moment and talk about the background that sets us up for this story. Because if you know the story of David, it's in 1 Samuel 16 that he's anointed to one day be the next king of Israel. And a lot of Bible scholars kind of think that he was probably 10 to 13 years old at the time he was anointed to be the next king. Then he goes on and he kills Goliath, the unbeatable giant, somewhere most likely between the ages of 15 or 17 years old. He's got that anointing of God already on his life, but as soon as he does that and kills the giant, 
the current king, the first king of Israel, King Saul becomes jealous of David. But not only that, already before David kills the giant, Saul has been disobedient and rebellious to God. And now God goes looking for a new king. And that's why David was anointed in the first place. So because of Saul's jealousy, because of his rebellion toward God, the favor of God, the spirit of God, literally the scripture says, departs from Saul, and Saul goes out to kill David. David walks through a approximately seven-year period of his life hiding in caves. And we think of him as the shepherd boy, the giant killer, the psalmist, the great and mighty warrior conquering king, but we hardly ever think of him as a caveman who hid in caves for seven years of his life. He's hiding in caves from King Saul, who wants to kill him. And when he finds himself in one specific cave in 1 Samuel 24, he finds himself at the decision point that can alter the course of the path that God has for his life. Let's read about it right now, starting in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 24. It says, Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines, this is fighting a whole other battle, that it was told to him, saying, Take note, Saul, for David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men. Note that because these are choice warriors, selected warriors. They probably would have been the Spartans of Israel from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. Verse 3 says, so he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave and Saul went in to attend to his needs. Other translations say that Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. You're not laughing, but here's the deal. We don't need to get into the ancient Hebrew to understand what this is talking about. Nature was calling, so Saul went into a cave. It goes on in the second half of that verse and says, David and his men just happened to be staying in the recesses of that very same cave. Finally, verse 4. Then the men of David, everybody say men of David. The men of David said to him, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. Now let's stop right there and we're going to spend most of our time today in verse 4 that we have remaining. David is in a position right, right here to kill King Saul and put an end to his running, the seven year run or so that he was on trying to flee from King Saul who wants to take his life. And it's in this moment that David is faced with a huge decision. And David's next move will either propel or derail God's plan for his future and for his life. In this moment, he has a choice. So let's just take a moment and analyze the factors or the decision points of what David's looking at. So again, David's in this cave. He's with some of his men. He has no idea that in the midst of his hiding, Saul is going to walk into this cave. But suddenly there he is. He's there for the taking. And David has the opportunity to put an end to the running. He can take Saul's life right here and now. Let me ask you a question this morning if you're taking notes. Here's the question. How do we make godly decisions when we're facing difficult seasons? How do we make godly decisions when we're facing difficult seasons? I want to give you a few thoughts. From verse 4, it says that David was in the cave taking the advice of his men. Now, this sounds good because Scripture tells us that there's 400 men who had been with David. We're going to talk about that in a minute. David was on the run, but he had a support group. He had people that rallied around him, that cared about him. But who exactly were these men that were giving David advice? Flip back two chapters with me real quick to 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22 says this in verse 1. It says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. This is again talking about David being on the run from Saul. 
So when his brothers and all his father's house heard this, they went down there to David. His family came to be with him in hiding. And everyone, watch this, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to David. So David became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. Now you look at this on the surface and you say, hey, David doesn't have to fight by himself anymore. He doesn't have to run by himself anymore. He's got 400 men. But guess what? Apparently, these weren't very great dudes that were following David. Scripture tells us very specifically that they were in distress. If you look at the original language here, it means they were in direness. We would say in English, they were in dire straits, desperate situations. They were in debt. That doesn't mean that they ran up some credit card debt. It literally means that they ran away from home to flee those who were trying to collect from them. They ran away. And then finally, maybe most importantly, everyone who was discontented. The original language here in the Hebrew, it's marmara. If you know the story of Moses leading the Israelites through the wilderness, they arrived at the, Mars, at the, the waters of Mara, meaning bitter, because the waters were bitter. Do you know what that means? These were bitter, discontented people that were running away from something, looking for someone to follow. And these are the people that David is with in a cave, and he's about to make one of the most important decisions of his life. People who were in distress, people who were running from debt, and people who were bitter about life. If you're taking notes this morning, first thought I want to give you about not making a mess of the thing that God has blessed is simply this. Number one, it's a bit long, but write this down. One of the greatest ways that we can make a mess of God's blessing in our lives is by surrounding ourselves with bitter, unstable people. One of the biggest mistakes we can make in our Christianity is to surround ourselves with bitter, cynical unstable people. Now, this is interesting because if you look at some of the lessons that David would go on to learn from this, I think it informs why, how he wrote Psalm 1. This is what Psalm, Psalm 1 says in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Other translations say blow to and fro with the wind. You know what happens when you surround yourself with unstable, bitter, ungodly people? Their bitterness starts to wear off on you, and you become bitter like them. And it informs the decision-making in your life. Now, Here's another question I want to ask you in light of what we're talking about. These unstable people who are running from all of these bad situations, they find company with David. Here's the question I want to ask you. Who are you looking to for counsel when you have to make big decisions? Who are you looking to for counsel when you have to make big decisions? Do they live godly lives? Because these people had a direct line to David's next decision, and it's quite clear that they weren't living godly lives. Not only that... Is their life in order, or is it a mess? Now, those two things I just asked right there, let's just speak on a very surface level for a minute. Those were not spiritual questions. They're just common sense questions. Sometimes as Christians, we over-spiritualize a lot of things when God's just asking us to use common sense. If there are people that are trying to speak wisdom into your life, but you can quickly recognize that their life is unstable and it's out of order and it's a mess, listen, you might want to pump the brakes on taking their advice and their counsel. And that's not spiritual. That's just common sense. That's why God gave all of us a brain. 
Sometimes you don't even have to ask many questions. You just recognize, man, things are a little sloppy over there. I'm not so sure I want to do what you just told me to do. Sometimes it's not a spiritual matter. It's just common sense. Let me continue for a moment. If you're looking for stability, you won't find it in unstable people. If you're looking for wisdom, you won't find it in the company of fools. Sounds harsh, but let's be honest. It's true. You know, there's an old saying that says, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Most of us have heard that before. I think scoffers hear that and they say, well, that's just an old saying, but it's still true. Well, you know, I'm just trying to win friends and influence people. Yeah, and guess what? If you're hanging out with foolish people who are living unstable lives, I would be willing to bet that they are probably pulling you in their direction more than you are pulling them in yours. Because there's a destination when you surround yourself with unstable, foolish, and even bitter people. Who are you listening to? If we want to remain in God's blessing for our lives, we must be very careful about who we surround ourselves with and who we are taking counsel from. Now, let's move on and go to the second thing. The second thing I want to show you from verse 4 this morning, okay? The second thing we see here is that not only are these unstable people who have run away from bad situations now trying to give advice to David, but here's where it gets even crazier. This is wild. Watch this. Verse 4, they look at David and they say these words. This is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to them as it seems good to you. One of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not take the, Lord, the Lord's name in vain. When we hear that, what we tend to think is that taking the Lord's name in vain is attaching the name of God to a curse word. Do you know what, attaching, what uh, taking in the Lord's name in vain is from Scripture? It's attaching the name of God to something that he did not say. How many love it when people use your name and attach your name to something you didn't say? Well, let me just tell you, God really loves it when people do that. That's why there's a commandment that says, don't do that. And these foolish advisors that David has surrounded himself with aren't just trying to give him advice. They're putting words in God's mouth saying, this day, here's what God would have you do. That's a scary place to be, my friend. And as people who would ever do that, that's a scary place to venture off into. But when people start to use the Lord's name and put words in God's mouth and say, hey, buddy, listen, brother, listen, sister, let's say the Lord, you should go and do that. I'm fine with listening to what someone has to say, but before you receive what they have to say, you need to take what they've said and you need to match it and filter it through the word of God first. And David has opened his life up to the counsel of these unstable people. This group of unstable men advising David aren't just telling him what to think, what they think he should do. They're now putting words in God's mouth. I'll say this again. They see the opportunity that David has in front of him, and suddenly they start getting spiritual with all of the thus saith the Lord language. The Lord says, the Lord has delivered your enemy into your hand. Notice how spiritual they get all of a sudden. It doesn't take long for David to recognize these aren't very stable people. I'm not so sure I should be taking their spiritual advice. The second thought I want to give you for taking notes this morning is simply this. If we want to walk in God's blessing for our lives, we must filter the words of people through the word of God. Filter the words of people through the word of God. Here's one of the places where we make a mistake sometimes. Sometimes because we don't hear the audible voice of God, we start looking to the audible, audible voices of people to tell us what they think God would have us do. Like sometimes we pray, we're like, God, show me. God, speak to me. And it's not the loud voice that we should be listening for. It's the still small voice we should be tuning into. 
But because we don't hear the loud, audible voice, we start going to people so we can hear their voice, trying to get them to tell us what God would have us do. We need to be very, very careful about that and make sure that anything someone else tells us always is filtered through the word that God has already given us. You know, I think David learned a lot of lessons through these experiences that helped to inform the way he wrote Psalm 119. Maybe David's most famous psalm besides the 23rd. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We talk about this a lot here at the bridge. What are we saying? We're saying God's word is a lamp to our feet. It shows me where I stand. It's a light to my path. It shows me where to go. But earlier on in the same chapter, verse 11 of Psalm 119, he said these words. He said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Notice those words. I've hidden your word in my heart. See, for a lot of us, when we face these big decision moments, we get all this input from other people and we take it. And what we'll often do is we will use scripture as a reference point for the things someone told us to do. And that's fine. But what David says is, I don't even need to treat my Bible like an encyclopedia. I have hidden your word in my heart that when I face those big decisions, it's already there and I already know what to do. How do you treat God's word in your life? Not a derogatory statement. It's not a put down. I'm encouraging you with this. How do you treat God's word in your life? Is it a reference book that sits on the shelf or are we hiding it daily in our hearts so that when we find ourselves in those moments of decision, it's already there and I know exactly how to respond. I think David walked through seasons of ups and downs and sometimes mistakes and he learned if I hide it here, the answer will always be there when I face these big decisions. I heard a great story a few years ago from a pastor that I have a ton of respect for. He told this story about how one night he was preaching at his church and he got finished and he said, I preached a really strong word. And the, the word that I had, I knew it was going to be maybe offensive to some people. And it was going to be kind of confrontational. And he got done preaching and this guy walked down the aisle with this very serious look on his face like he was coming straight for him. And he said he stood there and he saw the guy coming and he walked to him and he said, Pastor, I have a word from the Lord for you. And he said, well, what is it? He says, the Lord told me to tell you he's got you on the end of your leash. And the guy turned around and started walking away and he said, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, come back. He says, what does that mean? Got me on the end of my leash. He says, that's right. That's what the Lord told me to tell you. But you don't know what it means? No, I don't know. He just told me to tell you. Guy turned around, started walking out. And he says, no, 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 no. Come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. He said, let me ask you a question. I don't know you. Do you normally come to our church? And he says, well, sometimes. And he said, I mean, would you call this church your home church? And he said, I mean, not really. He says, well, what is your home church? Well, you know, I don't. I kind of, I don't have a home church per se. He started to walk away again. He says, no, 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 no. Come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. And he says, so this isn't your church? He says, no. Would you call me your pastor? He says, well, not really. He says, what investment do you have here? Do you serve here? Are you involved in a small group here? Do you tithe here? And he said, so you don't have much of an investment here? And he says, you know what? First of all, why would God use you who has no investment in this church as under nobody's authority to come and give me a word? Because everything you just said to me doesn't appear to line up with the word of God. And I don't know what it means. And then he told him, he says, I'm the pastor of this church. And don't ever go and tell anybody else in this church that thus saith the Lord, God wanted me to tell you this. Because he understood that God will always give words that align with the word of God. And everything that's given to me, if I can't filter it through the word of God and receive it, I have to push it away and reject it. If someone wants to give you advice, filter it through the word of God first. Now that leads us to the topic of authority. And that's the last thing that I want to talk to you about this morning, the third thing from this verse. Let's look again at the end of verse 4. What is David going to do with the advice that he's been given? 
This is what it says toward the end of verse 4. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. If you read this in the original King James, it says that David's heart smote him or smited him. The original language here literally means that David's innermost man was struck, like punched with conviction as soon as he cut off a piece of Saul's robe. Now, David only cuts off a piece of Saul's robe. He doesn't kill Saul, and he doesn't take him hostage. He doesn't put a knife to his neck and say, come with me. He doesn't run off and do anything like that. He merely cuts off a piece of his robe. And even though he could have gone so much further, he still feels enormous conviction just cutting off a piece of Saul's robe. And why is that? Why would he feel such huge conviction? I think the answer is simple. David understood that he had violated God's delegated authority. David understood that God had placed Saul in a position of authority in that nation, which meant that he was in a position of authority over David. And even though he was trying to kill him, he had conviction in his heart that this was not the right thing to do. Now watch what happens next. Look at verse 6. And David said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master. He Notice what he calls him. To my master. The guy that's trying to kill me. The Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is what? The anointed of the Lord. Here's a third thought I want to give you this morning from this passage. Don't make a mess of what God has blessed. If we want to walk in God's blessing for our lives, we must honor the authority structures that God has placed around us and above us. Now, this is a tough one because society does not like that idea. Society says, if I don't like my boss, I'm going to tear the thing down from the bottom up. I'll rip it down. I'll ridicule. I'll criticize. I'll speak terribly of it. Why? Because they mistreat me. They don't talk nicely to me. They don't respect me. They look right past me. But Scripture says that authority is God's idea. And sometimes I might not, like, might not like the people who are in authority over me, yet God has still called me to honor the authority structure he's placed above me. See, authority is given from God. And we can choose to honor those in authority over us, or we can choose to rebel against those in authority over us. But we can't dishonor authority and expect the blessing of God in our lives. You might say, so how does that apply to me practically? Well, maybe you're in a position right now in your life where you're looking at your job, your career path, and there's somebody over you who you feel like is hindering you and holding you back. Maybe you feel mistreated. Maybe you feel like they overlook you for opportunity. Maybe you look at the job that you want and the reason you feel you can't get it is because somebody is holding you back. Guess what? It is so easy for us to try to tear down that structure of authority from the bottom up to get to the place we want to go. But God says, no, I'm calling you to honor the authority that's over you because guess what? It's God who brings promotion in our lives. It's God who brings promotion in our lives. Now, let me read this to you real quick before we run out of time today. Romans 13 Paul wrote these words. He says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority, there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That doesn't mean they're godly people, but it means they are part of a structure that God has ordained. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on who? On themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? 
do what is good and you will have praise from the same. Or in other words, you will also have praise from that authority that is over you. Why? Because authority comes from God. Promotion comes from God. And even if we are frustrated with the authority structure that is around us, by honoring authority, we position ourselves for promotion because in honoring authority, we are honoring God. So when you think about that promotion you want, you think about that person that's holding you down or is in your way, don't dishonor them because by dishonoring them, you're dishonoring God. And it's hard to expect promotion when we dishonor God and his authority. I used to work for a guy, certainly not going to say his name out loud. (laughs) But I remember I started this job a few years ago. I worked for a company for six years before I came on staff here at the bridge. And there were three partners of the company that I worked for. It was an amazing company. And I really loved working there. But one of the three partners, when I first started my job, was at another location that we had purchased. And he was helping to train some people that worked there. And the guys that I worked with told me, you just wait till he comes back because he's no fun. And so by the time he actually came back a few weeks later, I was not looking forward to working with him because I was afraid of this man from all the things that I had heard. And then true to form, he showed up. And let me just tell you, it was one of the most uncomfortable and awkward few months of my professional life. Because I saw this dude rip people up and down, including me, multiple times, say inappropriate things, curse people out on the phone, in person, say all kinds of negative and derogatory things. It was wild, the stuff that came out of this man's mouth. And to be perfectly honest with you, I was afraid of him. I was afraid of him. And there were many times I thought about quitting because I didn't even like going into his office. And then one day... I had a a rough day, a long day, a hard day. He comes over to my desk and absolutely chews me out like worse than my my own dad has ever chewed me out before. And this dude used every (laughs) word in the book to let me know how he felt about my job performance that day. And I wanted to just walk out the door and never come back. And I sat there and thought about it for a moment and listened to everything he had to say, and I realized something. I don't like what he had just said, but you know what? He was right. Because he started pointing out some things that I could do better. He didn't say it in a nice way. He could have said it nicer. But I was ready to walk out from underneath his authority because I didn't like the way he was approaching me. And I didn't, know, I didn't like what he had to say. But here's the deal. I stuck it out because I knew if I quit, I was going to have to go get another job. And that's hard. And I stuck it out and I thought, maybe there's something to this. So I stuck it out. I started changing some of the way that I did things. Followed some of his procedures. Took some of his advice. And over time, he started to like me. And we built a bit of a relationship, which turned into kind of a friendship. And pretty soon, I wasn't afraid of him anymore. And every time he would say something mean or harsh or sarcastic, I would just throw it in a very respectful way right back at him, and it would become a joke and a laughing matter, and it eased the tension of the room. I worked for that guy for six years, and I didn't know that during those six years, God was preparing me for ministry. There were so many things about that job that were preparing me for the next season of my life, and I didn't know it in that moment. And when I told him I was going to leave and we were moving to the Temecula Valley and I was going to come on staff at the bridge, that man walked up to my desk, put his arms around me, and said, I'm going to miss you. I wish that you weren't leaving because I don't know how we're going to replace you right now. And to this day, I have a great relationship with him, and we can joke about that kind of stuff. But I was afraid of him at first. And I'll tell you something. I learned in that season of my life that God has delegated, God has structured authority over us. And even if we don't like the authority figures who are around us, us, don't try to tear down that structure of authority from the bottom up. Honor it and God will bring about promotion in your life. Amen. (laughs) Closing thoughts this morning. In, In verse 6. David responds to these men who are giving him this poor advice of what he should do next. And he acts out and he 
cuts off that piece of Saul's robe. And listen to what he says in verse 6. He says, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my master, the Lord's anointed. Now, think about those words. The Lord's anointed. What, what are we talking about today? Don't make a mess of what God has blessed. See, God had blessed David in the path he had for his life. He was anointed as a young man to one day be king. But this brings us to a bit of a, a Bible mystery. You have David who's anointed, but you have Saul who's anointed. But there's only one job, and they both can't sit on that throne. Now, when David is anointed to be king in 1 Samuel 16, Scripture tells us that because of his rebellion and disobedience, that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So you could really make a strong biblical argument that Saul is no longer anointed to be the king of Israel. But guess what? He's still in that position. And I think David sat there for just a moment in that cave with his men who were giving him poor advice, and he thought to himself, you know, one time that man was anointed to be king the same way that I was. And he walked down this path, and when it didn't go the way he wanted it to, he started to carve out his own path, and he made a mess of the thing that God had blessed. And I think David realized right there, I have a decision in front of me that can take me down the exact same path if I choose to do the thing that Saul did. So instead, he says, no, I know that God has blessed my path, even if I don't understand the season of my life. And that man is anointed by God. He might not be acting like it. And he not, might not be treating me in a godly way, but God has placed me under his authority, so I'm going to honor him as the anointed man of God. I'm going to call him master, even he, if he isn't treating me kindly. I want to say one more time to every single person in the house, authority comes from God, and don't try to violate the authority that God has put over you to get ahead and get promotion. Promotion comes from God. Honor authority, you'll honor God, and he will promote you. So I think about the decision points that some of us might be facing today. Maybe you're in a season of life where you're having to face a big decision about your future. Am I going to continue in this endeavor? God, I've waited so long for that partner. God, you've put this dream in my heart for ministry or entrepreneurship or the job that I want, but I feel like I'm on your path and it just hasn't happened. Who are you seeking counsel from? Can I tell you, maybe this is the sign that God wanted to bring to you today that says it's time to drive a few voices out of my life. Maybe there's encouragement or a word that you've been acting on lately and you've been chasing something because of something that somebody told you, but you never took that thing that they told you and, and filtered it through God's word. Maybe today's the day that you go home and you open up God's word and say, God, this is what was told to me. What do you have to say about my situation? Filter what was told to you by what God has already spoken. And again, one more time, if you're waiting for God to bring about promotion, how well are you honoring the authority that's already above you? Don't try to chop it down. Honor God, honor the authority, and he will promote in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I thank you so much for your people that are in the house today. God, I had this word in my heart for several days, not knowing every decision that people might be making today. But I pray that you would just help them, encourage them, instruct them to bring everything they're walking through back to you, to bring it to your word, to reassess the counsel we're taking in, and to reevaluate how well we're honoring the authority that you've placed over us. God, I speak promotion over people in this house today. For those who are wanting you to promote in some way or another in their life, God, I pray as they walk out your path and your principles, your precepts in their life, that they would see your hand of promotion go to work and just bless their socks off in Jesus' name. 
I pray for people that are waiting patiently because the progress and the way and the pace at which they're walking isn't going at the speed they want it to. I pray you encourage their hearts today so that they would know that they are on track and there's blessing if they'll stay the course on the path you've got them on. Father, surround us with wisdom. Let us not treat your word like a reference book on the shelf. Let us hide it in your heart so we know the answer when the problem comes. We look to you today, Father, and we recognize you've put all of us on a path of blessing. Help us to lean into you so that we don't make a mess of it, Lord. We don't mess up and carve our own path. We choose to follow you. We choose to be patient. We choose to be persistent in what you've called us to. We remind ourselves of why we started in the first place. We stay the course today in Jesus' name. Right now with heads bowed and eyes closed, just a private moment for everybody in the house. Maybe you're here and you think about God's direction for your life. You say, man, that sounds awesome to think that the divine God from heaven could see my life and want to give me direction. Can I tell you something? He doesn't want to give you direction from heaven. He wants to give you direction internally from inside. He wants to live in your very being, whispering in your ear every step of the way. Maybe the reason you feel that way that you don't have that is because you've never said yes true relationship with God by receiving Christ into your life. Say, I would love to have a relationship with God, but how do I do that? Let me tell you how much God loves you. God loves you so much that while you were lost in your sin, he saw you wandering aimlessly in that wilderness. And he said, I'm going to send my very best, my son, Jesus, in exchange for your very worst, your sin. Jesus came to this earth, sent by God, lived a sinless, perfect life, died on a cross, a death he did not deserve for our sins so that we could be forgiven and made clean if we would simply put our faith in that work that he did. The beauty of it is that he didn't stop there because three days later he raised Christ from the dead, conquering death and hell and the grave for all of eternity so that you and I would not have to face it. If you're here today and you want God leading your life, living on the inside, becoming your Lord and your Savior, I want to invite you into a prayer right now. We're going to pray it all together right out loud, passionately as a church. If you want to invite Christ into your life, just repeat these words, but more importantly, mean it with everything in your heart. Come on, let's do this right now. Everybody repeat after me right out loud. Say, Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross for me. I believe you are the Son of God, and I believe that your death was full payment for my sin. So today I choose you I will follow you all the days of my life into eternity. I thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, we're almost done this morning, but this is important, as important as anything we'll do because people made decisions to follow Christ. So if you would honor everybody right now by just hanging tight in your seat until the end of service, we would greatly appreciate it. If you made a decision to follow Christ, we want to help you get started in your journey of faith. We have a simple gift, a small book called The Next Seven Days we'd like to put in your hand. There's two different ways that you can get it. Right after service, we'll have prayer teams right down here. Just walk up to one of our prayer teams, let them know you made a decision to follow Jesus. And you want to get, a, get the book and we'll give it to you. If you need prayer, that's why our prayer teams are here. Just walk up to one of our teams, say, hey, would you stand with me and pray with me and agree with me today? They'll be happy to do that. If you need to go quick at the end of service, just stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors. Our team's there to help in any way that we can, but we want to give that gift to you and help you start walking with God. We're grateful that you made that decision. Hey, as a family, can we put our hands together and welcome some people into God's family today? Hey, let's give Pastor Zach a great hand for that, that word. That was very timely, practical, and challenging. So thank you so much, Pastor Zach. Hey, uh, we're at that point in our service where we want to give you an opportunity to, 
to give. It's a continuation of our worship to the Lord. And we wanna say thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for giving because we have a, uh, we have a God who loves us so much and entrusts us. And as we wanna do what the Bible says and, and we wanna honor him with our giving. And so we wanna give you opportunity with that. Just a few reminders. We do have uh, giving stations in the back as you exit. We have one out in the lobby over by the kids area as well. You can give online as well, but thank you for your faithfulness and your, and your giving. Hey, before you go, we got two uh, quick reminders. Next Sunday, everyone say next Sunday is our food truck Sunday. So what that means is after both morning services, we are going to be having food trucks out there. Please plan to join us. Um, it's gonna be an awesome time to get to know some people. There's a lot of new folks around. It's a great time to get to know the people around you. So we encourage you to, to make your plans to join us next week. Also, just want a reminder for all of our seniors in the house, Senior Connection is happening at one o'clock today over in the chapel. I do have two spots available if you would like to join us still. The cost is $10. You can meet me over at the doors by one o'clock, all right? Stand to your feet. Look at the neighbors next to you. Tell them how good they look. We love you all. Have an amazing rest of your Sunday.